Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, so we're going to do a reading with each of the authors here, and then they're going to have a discussion, and then we're going to open it up to Q&A, and then there will be a signing eventually at the end. Okay, so The Milk Hours. Winner of the Max Ritvo Poetry Prize, The Milk Hours is an elegant debut that searches widely to ask what it means to exist in a state of loss. While John James begins with the biographical, the haunting loss of a father in childhood, the exhausted hours of early fatherhood, the questions that emerge from his poetic synthesis are both timely and universal. What is it to be human in an era where nature and culture have fused, to live in a time of political and environmental upheaval, of both personal and public loss? How do we make meaning, and to whom or what do we turn when such boundaries so radically collapse? Eduardo Corral writes of The Milk Hours, The Milk Hours is a remarkable debut in which sorrow leads to an astonishing intimacy with the world, a moving and urgently crafted testament to resilience and to beauty. And Timothy Donnelly writes, The Milk Hours is a startlingly mature, exhilarating debut, one whose urgent evocation of the past and confident reaching for what lies ahead ensure it a prominent place in our present. Finally, Henri Cole writes, out of the sorrowful fragments of personal history, John James has created a book of unusual intelligence and beauty. John James is the author of Chthonic. Am I saying that right? Okay. Uh, winner of the 2014 Cutbank Chapbook Award. His poems appear in Boston Review, Kenyon, Re- Kenyon Review, Gulf Coast, Poetry Northwest, Best American Poetry 2017, and elsewhere. Joss Charles is the author of Field, a Pulitzer finalist and winner of the 2017 National Poetry Series, whose poetry, whose work has been published with Poetry, Poem a Day, Penn, Washington Square Review, Denver Quarterly, and elsewhere. And Jordan Nakamura is a poet and MFA candidate at Antioch University LA, whose writing has appeared in or is forthcoming from Zocalo Public Square, The Curator, Lunch Ticket, and Tupelo Quarterly. We're so fortunate to have these three incredibly talented authors with us today. Would you please join me in welcoming John James, Josh Charles, and Jordan Nakamura. All right, hello everyone. Thanks for being here. Uh, I'm really grateful to be here. This is like one of my favorite places ever. And I'm especially grateful to Joss for inviting me. She was like, we really just need another poet that begins with a J to be at this reading. So I was like, well, that's, that's me. I, can, I think I can do that. I think I can write some things before September. This is like back in February. So um, as I was thinking about this reading, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's been a hectic year. And I was reading All About Love by Bell Hooks. And uh, a lot of these poems I realized kind of just came out of the place of thinking about relationships. So I guess that will be like the theme of this, um, just thinking about how that can be resistance or just the thinking about people in a careful way. 
Um, but first, I have a, I guess, a more political poem. It's uh, called A State is Not a Grace. A state is not a grace. A red beret is not a raspberry beret, though one can mistake a sign of armed force for a sign that makes you think you love. A land is not a mother, neither is a nation, but an old adage says earth is, and nature is not a law, nor has borders. Another word for rebellion to gravity is flying, or trying it, or trying to walk on water. An ear is not a hearing, and is more than its function. Ask a rabbit, shorn of oracle. It listens with its skin. Peter cut one off, a smaller debt Jesus paid back that can't be fixed with a cheeseborough, which is not the pastry or cake it sounds like, not the balsamic pear pie my brother learned to make when deported alone, beaming through screens, not the same as seeing a niece being born. And loss is not the same as debt, both of which kids in the VCR tapes who were us but not knew nothing back then in a house that is not a home where we said grace, said God bless the state that banished him, that I love him is not a change, keeps no one safe, and that I hate this is not enough. This is called Improbable Growth. I found the agave plant in our kitchen garbage bucket in the scatters of its crashed ceramic cup house, gifted to me by a friend's partner, one of many on whom I'd had an unwanted crush. It felt like a human death briefly to see the plant trashed. Someone, a roommate, had dropped it, the handle detached, constellated dirt, roots yellow pale like bone exposed. I refitted it in a new mug. I had no new soil, and the earth outside was bad, I thought. I wet the roots. The ball of dirt didn't fit the new shape. I left the thing in the window's sun. It looked like it did not die even a little. I wiped my finger, blood from the young thorns. There must be a word for hope that a thing will die swiftly if it won't survive, though it did clinging to its knot, its remainder of earth, its common denominator. A word resembling a kind of mercy, but isn't quite. Right. This is called a kind of careful. <clears throat> After their walk, wanting to speak about what flutter she slipped into him, he diverted to the cactus fruit swells of ruby, cloaked in milky thorns. Above a fence they passed. Don't they make you want to hold them, he asked, even if it hurt. They seemed so ready. She recalled how they looked like water-filled toys she used to squeeze as a girl, little vortices that slid free when held. But this fruit was fragile, had give, could bruise. Bands of orange sun thinned in the living room. Reckless, he thought, to turn a corner and trampoline with her upstate into a grove of junipers. To abandon in to what was budding felt brash. He'd worked toward what was not innocence, after all. More the drawing a swath of cellophane from one edge to the next and doubling layers 
than watching from a couch, plastic wrapped and prickling with friction, the night come on. He had protected himself like a relic, speaking toward the floor, or a distance not her. He'd quiet the hum of his longing's hive, face turned toward her, scanning for signs that she hoped he'd risk. He'd express with eagerness everything shy of what he meant, that she possessed him, that he'd like to help, and if she wished that he'd swing to shatter his labyrinth of affection and the caution devouring all that affection needs to live, a breakage only he could begin and one she, anyone, needed to be touched. He was hoping, but merely, that he'd exude a light someone might knife through walls to bathe in. She could not have known how the barrier would have fallen quickly at nothing but her reach. That if she were winter, crisp dark from whom his island skin shied, he'd venture to rhythm his shivers still, to walk in her bare-leaved wood. But he had little other than unrequite, tried little, so knew little else. She too moved by what she'd known, to go where she would be wanted and well, clear as flares of embarrassment in a face. She couldn't read him, but couldn't leave, then did, was sad to have been right to. In the wrapping, the air there going stale as piety for piety alone, Hours after she'd left, like a spirit ascended from a temple, that spirit ordered, built, and made it, when present, fearsome, and holy. There, in the fading light, he stood and watched the maples change. So the moral of that poem, I guess, is like, send that risky text. It's like, <clears throat> for the too long didn't read. Uh, okay, this is called Exposure. I abandoned the camera years earlier. I couldn't spare all I aimed to honor. Was burnt by each moment feeling like a missed shot. What I did frame was also failure. Portraits doomed to their flatness. Stills of time that still passed. Always a specter of better ways to render, to record. I ached to see a person laugh again. Just see and not capture. To touch, to be empty-handed, having reached. When I felt I saw you honestly, it seemed no response was fitting. I was too quiet. Your face seemed impenetrable. But your arms testify to how easily the skin can scar. Up close, they are textured with accents of what seem like shadow, like a field beginning to reforest. And what is healing isn't different than what is, in the end, darker. We are close enough to taste, which means close enough to be mistaken. How at the right distance, the sweetness of sweat is indistinguishable from the fume of opened jasmine. Once, for once, I'm not too quiet and we share imperfectly and actually. 
One night you say, we could keep talking or we could, and we finish the rest with our hands. I tried, as in slipped into the ruse, neither chosen or even noticed as effort, though it had been, to make you eternal in my mind. It's time, too, I try to fix, when I pin you against the wall the way you ask for and we crash like tide grafting landslip from cliffs, your eyes daring me over into night surf, where coming and going become twinned and become daylight. Like fitting the goddamn sea into a teacup, you'd said, before your exam, meaning to cram the lesson. Memory also is like that. Only its cup is made of air and a little bone. Each pour is a given, a spill a given. A misfire is still a fire. You asked me what I want, what we should do. Spent and half lit, I look past you to the black and white pictures on the wall, which depict a sea of rough waves cresting with spray. No, a hill lined with gravestones, the light clutching onto or being clutched by shade. It is never enough to tell. This all leads to leaving. I know it and open the same. All right, this last one is called Vespers for if anyone made you think you were difficult to love. Vespers are like prayers, so that's like a vocab word. Um, Vespers for if anyone made you think you were difficult to love. Blessed are the covertly horny and quietly alone, that they may learn to burn, dressed for work, practicing public kindness beneath the pall of a great discontent. Let the divine in the discontent be made, if not made known. Someone said, insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. They said it, over and over, so we'd remember, until we did. This year I'm gonna fold my clothes every week as if the shapes would last forever. Or this year I will try to accept endings better with practice. Whether my last lover was my first or my last, or if they ended up being good at making me sick for not being someone else, and I was good at making them an angel in my mind as I shrank a parched lily in a vase of seawater, let me survive the cost. Let me reject the shame in breathing. I go to the club alone and sober and leave alone even more sober. Robin said she's still dancing on her own and she's Robin, I'm fine. I'm allowed to take a minute. I'm allowed to be giddy out loud. In the house of the God of sorrows, I am allowed to do this. If it hasn't happened yet, it can, it should. If someone wants, I can take someone's hand. And if they like, and if I like, I can forget all this for a minute and see what happens next. Thank you. Gotta stay hydrated. Thank you, Jordan. And thank you, John, for inviting me. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, it's wonderful to see y'all. 
Thank you to Kaveh uh, for whoever set everything up and is going to clean up after we're gone. Um, so I'm going to read some new work for you all. I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I describe it quickly? So you're like on the, you're ready to go. Uh, uh, so let's see. The project is tentatively called A Year. It's a longer poem. It's broken up into smaller poems. Uh, so I'm just going to read you a few of the excerpts throughout the thing. So hopefully you get a sense of the overall trajectory. Um, but it's going to be moving rapidly through a year. Uh, I think if there is like a uh, one sentence marketing, you know, that uh, an unpaid intern would write or something on the back of the book, it would be like a meditation on trans loss, you know, um, which is not not wrong. Because uh, I'm thinking about in part things that one loses. Um, some of them bad and horrific, you know, to, to uh, death, uh, but some of them more minor. Uh, and to think about it through description primarily, rather than through like confession or testimony. Um, and by description, I'm thinking, I thought of an example, so I would have an example. Um, I remember when I was seven or eight going to LACMA, I grew up around here, and uh, on a field trip, and it was like the first time I saw art in person, right? And uh, there's this big Alexander Calder mobile in the back, if you've been there and seen it. Uh, and I remember thinking when I was seven or eight uh, that it looked like a tree. And I remember thinking that was very beautiful, and that I suddenly saw something in trees that I had not seen before um, because I saw Calder, right? And it changed my perception of what a tree was or could be. And to this day, when I see trees, I often think of Calder, right? Um, this is not uncommon. I think lots, this is how art is experienced in many ways. But um, to think of description that way, to think of the poem as a capacity to perceive something anew, to return to perhaps very old things anew. So I'll say what month it's from, um, and then just pause between each section from January. Desert hills all aflame and the old hopes an oak shook through a screen. Our separate smoke caught in the same ascent. Months I move in you. suppose I could say too, uh, the year that I am writing about was 2016, which had a number of markings, uh, both national and personal. Um, but also just in a very basic way, like I, I was living in Tucson and then I ended up moving. And when I was in Tucson, all the hills were on fire. Then I moved here and everything was on fire. Um, and it seemed like something. A current gives, though, as much as it has given you, who I, I swear, saw gone round the tide pools yesterday at noon. But the world is gone. But the world is a lake, the size of a lake. 
from March. The ceilings I went under, dandelions stuffed in pockets, and what was it, dogwood? Mother stood, coordinated lemons, his hair a molest of vellum. I bathed, understood, unbelievable, each emblem. Signifier, me, asleep in rooms, I still sleep. I had not begun to think past testament, to speak of want I did not want. When I believed a sentence knew its end, when I wore bathing suits still on the porch of the world, I had not begun to answer the name that is the same. It is your mouth only that has changed. Joshua, oh Joshua, oh. This is from May. May, for some reason, I guess when thinking of lost two, one thinks of relationships, um, or might, I don't know. That was one of the ones I was thinking of. Uh, and May, for some reason, is a very, I don't know, romantic month. Um, so these are love poem adjacent poems. From May. Gone mad for weeks, a lantern, I linger. A hundred and ten degrees, and who would dare to leave a room? Tops of green flood the floor, awake, absenting the here I make. A man asks me to faint, asked to eat a peach on screen. I write that month only. My love is like a raven over the flood and there is never not a flood, and balms and heads of honeycomb, and an architect in every room. When you touch long, irretrievable now, beside you, again me, again in the dark, of our certainty, I hold like a stone, and even you, I turn my head to a thousand possible things, gone, cannot touch, it is all I hold now, and spring. The book is a margin I go to put holly to its lip. Loss is a proximity, a beside what one is not, to bury yourself to, a thing morrow allows, not sorrow, everything against it. From August. Closing time, foolish, plays above a butcher's block. 
it is not easy. Black line of a street from a flag of blue and black. I have accepted walking past the dimlit district to get to you. Under the logic of cloud, the logic of a window shade. You are gone, and I live on where the mulberry bleeds. Where they bury, I have accepted this, cisterns underground. If a door does not suffice, they will build corridors where it is not easy. They lower, tombless, you, Asterion. Asterion's just the proper name of, quote unquote, the Minotaur. And this is like not my social justice hang up to really perch myself on, but his name's Asterion and I just feel bad calling him Minotaur. Enough. Outline the figure of a bruise. From September. A house under construction. Faded fence, a pear, rot in the sun. Who knew? Measurement, a parliament of lamps where a light dims a window left open enough for you to appear. <coughs> Remembered 2014, September or November, any month the same really, like working the street, a bar, free drinks from creeps at the bar, together, a laugh lodged in air, taste of blood, copper, rain. This existence, a kind of theft. The Friday you left, rain again picking up. I haven't been the same. Summer ended, audit of past reaping. I bought bells, augured trees. Time was in the trees. Bracken meant desert, and all night I'd sing. And I do sing. Why is it only when I sing you hear? So, how could I speak of winter? How could there be an almond tree where blossoms ring? from October. October rose up, a coastline obstructing itself. I lost something in every room they got in. How, 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 your dreams. This poem, uh, also from October. Uh, I live in Long Beach, and there is this uh, spot uh, that had, a, I don't know, had a lot of trees, a lot of people who uh, didn't have a fixed address slept there, um, and uh, there are these beautiful lemon trees that provided shade and some benches. 
Um, and recently it got uh, renovated, as they say, um, which is to say it's now like a flat block of concrete. Um, and it became, or it's named, uh, Equality Plaza. I was also solicited um, by the Houston Museum on the 50th anniversary of uh, Stonewall. And I was walking around the city at that time and somehow that seemed to be like the only kind of celebration, <laughs> I guess, the only kind of equality I could imagine. Perpetual hair falls to the floor. Harpies make a nest there. No book whose margin isn't illumined with carmen, carbon, gold. When you get back, they will say, we tore down a house and built a statue of a house. From November. The air, winter color, national in its mass, like wool. And there are those who sort wool and it is work to bow to fold a hand upon a hand. Election day, interred, sheltered, the wood, us. Everything works to understand. The new poetry of understanding fed every word being only one word, ram, her two eyes in the leaves. And just three little short ones more from December. In the enigma of a shadow of a window left open for wind to leave, in the thought that cannot account for form and having spent thought we encounter form only. In the distance between the hole of a stone and a dove within it, of all we have imagined, and we have imagined such distances, what is known and not known. You touch the stone, it could be any stone I live on. It is falling, ash in Santa Ana, falling in your year, needing Chagall's Christ irrecoverably in the evening, holding hands ourselves into the evening. We wept a quiet English. The day contained it. Such silence, sudden now in the clearing. A tarp chains the lot of our speech. A Sunday like any. No women washing at the washing stones. The past is only the only mutable thing. A lone tanker in the waves swims. Thank you.
holy crap, I didn't realize there were like also people standing in the back. Um, thank you guys so much for coming. This is, uh, your support means a lot and it's just really incredible to have a lot of people here. Um, and really special to be reading in LA, um, which for those of you who don't know me, um, is in a certain way where this book began. Um, I, was, I was born in Long Beach. Um, although I grew up, uh, I spent most of my life in Kentucky. So what I like to do with this book, it's pretty, the structure of it is pretty cyclical anyway, so I'm gonna read more or less from front to back to give you a sense of the architecture of the book, um, and then I'll read a couple of new poems just to give you a sense of where I'm going from here. Um, so this first poem is the title poem, The Milk Hours. We lived overlooking the walls, overlooking the cemetery. The cemetery is where my father remains. We walked in the garden for what seemed like an hour, but in reality must have been days. Cattail, heart seed, these words mean nothing to me. The room opens up into white and more white, sun outside between steeples. I remember now the milk hours, leaning over my daughter's crib, dropping her 10, 12 pounds into the limp arms of her mother. The suckling sound as I crashed into sleep. My daughter, my father, his son, the wet grass dew speckled above him. His face grows vague and then vaguer. From our porch, I watch snow fall on bare firs. Why does it matter now? What gun, what type? Blue smoke rises. The chopped copses glisten. Snow melt smooths the stone cuts of his name. Um, for some reason, I like writing poems about beaches. I kind of always have. There's something about the language of it that, um, for someone who grew, who mostly grew up in a place that's very landlocked, seems just foreign enough and yet familiar to me that it sort of toggles in this middle space between, um, I don't know, what I know and what I don't know. Anyways, this poem is titled Metamorphoses. What was it this morning? You said red grass glistens in surf. The pine board fence collapsed along the line. After the storm, a kestrel and headwind, sand accumulates on your feet. Puckered sealskin, the salt-washed flesh, wreckage towing up shore. When the goals came out, I saw them circling in air, saw them pecking seal's eyes from torn skin. A boy down strand rolling in dunes. I could see the stomach's red wall, the small hairs on its flippers, blubber wrenched by shark bite from the belly swell. Later seen from a dune, black water, fish spit pooling, mouth open enough to see teeth trailing in sand, his lips limp. There in the storm's wake, I wanted something to say. The ocean scraped his insides clean. Um, so despite having been born here, um, I find Los Angeles to be a deeply weird city. Um, I suspect this is something that Angelinos are quite aware of, but, um, but if you're not, um, people who are not from here find it um, 
sort of baffling just how big it is and you know how crazy and how much traffic and um, part of the reason I'm saying this is I went to uh, the Museum of Death t today <laughs> over in East Hollywood. Um, and these are like already very um, sort of morbid poems, and not, maybe not morbid, but more abundant poems. Um, so I felt inspired to read this poem, um, which is titled, titled Le Moribond, right, or sort of Death Bound. Um, the title is after uh, the, also the title of a song by the French musician Jacques Brel. The moribund is sort of like a, a, a death dance, but it's a sort of celebration of, and sort of in that way, a dance like, kind of against death. Um, but it takes place in Paris, um, and it's about wa a walk through the, the Paris catacombs, which is one of the, I'm not a religious person really, but one of the most spiritual places I think I've ever been. So this is Le Moribond. In the catacombs, I am impatient. In this hall, shuttling between one world and the next, from nothing to being and back again, I stand, restless, following the worm of thought to its blacked-out end. I study the bones before me, observe fine cracks in the skulls, hairline fractures, the pits of teeth gone missing. History compounds. The skulls are yellow, tar-colored, mangled with dust, tucked along niches in the tunnel's run. I am not ready to be among them. And so, for now, I wait. Tonight, I walk the city's soft keys, watch mist cloud over the Seine, people flicking cigarettes, striking guitars, strumming nickel strings, doing what the French do. Empty bottles lounge in the river. This far beneath ground, one hardly hopes to escape. Femur, tailbone, marrowless rib, tourists pass photographing the dead, tombless remnants unearthed by late priests. Nightly, their procession of cloth-covered wagons emptied the city cemeteries. A picture is a fine memento. Bones tell us little. In this network of interlaced tunnels, six million people lie buried. Many times the walls collapsed, combining the bodies of municipal workers with the ones we find here. It adds them to the tomb. The stacks of bodies are endless. Now, as I trace the path from one gray lamp to another, the pattern of lights between exits guides my walk through the cold. Dark letters urge me on, etched on a tableau of flat stone. Halt. Here is death's empire. Those who walk among them no doubt return alive, though occasionally lovers lose their way. Spend a night or two among the dead. My task is simple. Leave the bones interred. On the other side of these dim-lit tunnels, sun attacks the nerves. Inveterate monuments skulk from the square at Montparnasse. Their eyelids do not phase me. Death, whatever it is, sleeps below ground. It doesn't mix with the light. Fractures. Some of them died from only hairline fractures. Enough to place silence in a grown man's teeth. To, blant, to plant his broken jaw beneath the dirt.
when I was in high school, although I, I went again recently, I used to go to this um, really old and really sort of funky um, drive-in movie theater outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, like, so old that, like, the screens, like, even, like, the refreshment stand are, like, definitely from the 1950s, but it's really cheap, and it's a lot of fun to go to. Um, at the same time, if you've ever been to the Ohio River Valley, it's, like, the the worst allergies you'll ever experience. And this place opens up in like May, right? When like, the, you know, allergens are like really, really bad. And I never had, uh, this is sort of funny to like t talk about a poem that's sort of about allergies, but I never had allergies until I was like 21 and then they kind of like weirdly developed. Um, anyway, so that's sort of how this poem came together. Um, it's about other things as well, I suppose, as all poems are. This is Spaghetti Western. In Georgetown, Indiana, the steel projector reels. The desert stretches blankly before us, a red plain constellated with rows of dry mesquite. Stone wall, still screen, a single emptiness, I suppose, throwing gray light over the tops of parked cars. John Wayne surveying the valley in a pair of seared chaps. Behind us, Low hills roll off. The highway, congested, winds between them, an inflamed artery subjected to cloud cover. Nothing avoids the firm gaze of commerce, not the taut sky, the lake water rippling beneath it, not the fields of wild fennel, their tiny yellow flowers scattering spore dust, sycamores doing the same. Tree sex, we say then nothing, cowboys rehearsing their pose. Because that's what makes you sneeze, it's, it's like tree sperm. <clears throat> um, so uh, the, the poems um, that Henri Cole describes in his blurb of this book, and talking with Henri, it's funny because I, I don't think he like completely understood the book, um, in some ways I'm kind of flabbergasted that he selected it. Um, but I think his favorites were these ones that he describes as poems about a, quote, tormented Kentucky landscape. Um, those are like mostly in the back of the book, but I'm gonna read a couple of those. So this is Kentucky September. My grandfather stood outside smoking, watching the migrant workers bend over the bare furrow. I was in the cross barn stripping leaves from green stalks, knowing God was cruel, that he must be. Even on a map, South America looks like a sick heart. I hung the leaves from tiered poles and let them dry in the heat. Once, we found a she-goat dead, her belly split, and blood trailing over an arched rock. Something about her innards spread across the ground made me think of nakedness. My grandfather took the carcass in his arms and carried it to the driveway where I said a short prayer. Stripping finished for the night, I sat next to my grandfather on a wooden bench behind the barn. Hands beneath my legs, our backs cocked against a bale of hay. Bats erupted from the silo like buckshot. Then I realized this wasn't my grandfather, and these weren't my hands. All of this was a pasture resembling heaven. Heaven was a meadow in time. The moon rose over the empty fields, 
wedging shadows together in the dirt. Clock Elegy. Outside the day collapses. White moths crowd around the porch. The hall clock runs like a wedding stone turning in my stomach's pit. With a spade, my mom begins to dig, shoveling dirt where the river's been. I check the sleeves of my father's coat for words he might have left. Handbells, their tinny sound invades the yard. Shadflies gather on the swollen lake. Inside, my mother smooths the sheets that stretch my father's bed. By noon, light pinholes through the clouds with my eyes refuse to adjust. Sirens, a warning sign. I taste the cut in my mouth. Years I've slept right through. After this, I'll read a couple of new poems and close things out. The field is steeped with the violence of horses. Night descends blue hills and I attempt to weigh distance as a calf tests its footing to the waterhole. On the front porch, my cat devours a hummingbird. He beats the brilliant body with his tufted paws. He breaks its wings, swallows whole the intricate bone house. Inside, the pilot light is burning. My sister's friend with the coal eyes is over. Gradually, I crawl into bed, aching for more light. In the dooryard, a young boy stoops to pluck feather from feather until his hands are sore. So prone to sadness, this thief. I take my glasses off and lay them on the table. The shadow of a tree rests inside my palm. This spring, I commemorate my father's death by tacking deer horns above the door. My hammer strokes disperse an assembly of hens waiting around for me to scatter their seed. A mile away, the river is abundant. It breaks its sudden excess on a limestone bridge. A big-axled wagon tips into the water where white mud washes the coachman clean. This is a custom he repeats every year, coming and going until his wheels give out, coming to wet his tongue. Dawn chalks over the horizon, rendering the sky a storm-blotched red. The outline of a cow appears on the hill and then dissolves into the fog. I follow her path with my ear, listening as a bell sounds out the trail. It is mine, this world of bread and skin and stone. Lay me in the field with all the fallen horses. All right, just a couple of new poems. <clears throat> um, so I moved, I suppose, back to California um, about a year ago, although I live in the Bay Area. And um, the, the weather for about two-thirds of the year is like exactly what I expected, right? It's like kind of gray, about 70 degrees, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I didn't realize, like, how rainy the rainy season was going to be. I've heard that this past year was, like, a particularly bad rainy season. Um, but I was thinking about that and also thinking, you know, sort of experiencing a bit of nostalgia I'm, in terms of, like, the vegetation. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm used to the East, East Coast, and so um, it was all kind of strange to me. Anyway, so I wrote this poem, California Winter. Hiking near Sausalito... Wind slaps my skin. Bitterns turn on the horizon, pick fleas from the marsh grass jutting up along the beach. 
I lurch through a great opium of pines, halls of redwood shuttling me toward sea's edge. Strike at the path with a stick so old, my father's father might have held it, had he made it this far, this coast, this sea. Landlocked, I grew up, barges floating cold down a muddied river. Grackles cackled. Black oaks lay down their roots by the fern. In summer, I walked my daughter to a garden 20 blocks from the capital, picked quinces and persimmons, June berries and thyme. Hose in her hand, she turned it to the sky, let drops fall down upon her, a makeshift storm. Cliffs and bluffs, shrubs of manzanita spot the hill. The ocean fluxes in, breakers bursting on low dunes, stagnant in mid-afternoon, listless in the tide's revising loop, waves buoy me over sunk wharves, dead grass, the gray beach punctuated with cans, driftwood, egrets, laughter, rain. And one more short one to close things out. Um, thank you guys so much for your attention. Um, this piece is called A Thicket in Time. My daughter pushing bags of rice on the floor. Her mother in the kitchen heating up broth. A turkey from which I've plucked ligaments, tendons, spine and skin. The parts that aren't worth eating. I throw them to the dog. Aging husky, eyes like cut gems, and drop the rest between floating specks of sage. Pot so big, the baby might have fit. You make a joke about cooking her, or maybe that was me. It's hard these days to keep the details straight. Thank you. We're available for questions. Um, this is so official. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I had something. Oh. Well, I'm going to get you another microphone here. Okay. have I been writing? I mean, that's an impossible question to answer. I've been writing for, forever. I mean, for as long as I can remember, you know, being conscious and having a notebook. I've been scribbling things down. Um, I didn't necessarily think that I was going to be a poet, though. Um, I, I wrote a lot of stories when I was a kid, and I remember I, I won a contest when I was in second grade for an illustrated story called The Dragon Man. So that was my first literary award. Um, and yeah, I mean, beyond that, I started taking creative writing classes in college, and that's when I started becoming serious about it. Um, but then it was another, gosh, eight years after that before um, I, this book was ready. 
um, to be published. And there's a lot sort of left over. I mean, I, you know, the next book now is sort of halfway done. There was a lot of kind of leftover pieces from, from writing this book um, that, that now are sort of contributing to a new project. But, um, but yeah, it took me a long time to sort of develop and, and to get this book where I wanted it to be. I was trying to think of what we all have in common in the reading. Uh, I mean, that would be interesting to talk about. Uh, <laughs> um, one thing that seemed apparent was just loss, writing about loss, uh, writing about things that are not present. Um, and I don't really have a question, but uh, I suppose, uh, what, how does one write through that? Why, why does one write through that? No. Um, what are the pleasures and benefits of writing through that? Um, yeah. Since in various ways we all, I think, did. Yeah. And yet I think we each have a sort of unique handle on what the, what the precise work of elegy is. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I mean, I think for me, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this recently because I've been reading, so I'm, I'm taking a class on 18th century British literature, and so I'm reading a lot of Samuel Johnson, who does not, to someone who's not otherwise interested in um, the 18th century, probably very interesting, but this is the person who compiled the first right, dic dictionary um, of the English language, and one of the things that he is really interested in, and I think there is a kind of elegiac component even to what he's doing, and the reason I bring it up is because I think it says a lot about um, what we're trying to do with language when we're thinking about loss. Um, but he's trying to fix these words in place so that they don't change because he recognizes that language is this, um, this irrevocably fluid thing that is, you know, words he, he realizes are always changing throughout time and, and even his given day. And so by locking them into a text, into print specifically, um, there's a way to sort of uh, preserve them, right, and, and keep them from changing, keep them from sliding away. And I think that that is sometimes, that is sometimes the work of elegy. That's sometimes the work, not always, but sometimes the work of writing about loss, right? It's sort of trying to freeze in place um, experience, right, that is otherwise sort of sliding away from us, um, especially as sort of the memory kind, you know, of a, of a particular person deteriorates over time. Yeah, um, when I think about just the, the task of trying to kind of capture something or preserve something, it just seems, and, and even in language, like the medium of language is so, it's so airy, right? Like you kind of can't, like it's so hard for me to even define language because you're trying to, I mean, the more I think about language, it's just like, they're literally just like shapes. And then you're trying to like, you know, like, like arrange them. And that's kind of like what poetry is. Uh, and then they, and then you're trying to like, preserve life, which is like already this impossible task. So I don't know, like thinking about loss, it's already, you know, when within writing, it's already impossible. So I kind of try to make writing this process of um, being present, I think. It's like a training ground for being present later. Um, like in that poem, Exposure, the, it kind of talks about how I had this sort of crisis when I was taking a lot of photography, uh, taking a lot of photos, and I was just like, I can't really, I can't really capture anything perfectly. It's always a it's always a failure. And then also, I was sort of realizing I was not really present with the people that I was photographing, or I would always see situations um, as like an opportunity to make art out of it. And then I wouldn't. I would kind of 
distance myself from those moments. But then with, within writing, I was, I'm like, well, I'm already writing. It's already a solitary experience. I'm already like very lonely, you know, like within the process of writing. So when I don't write, how can I, how can I be thinking, and how can I be kind of putting myself in a process where I I miss less, um, and that's kind of where, you know, I try to teach myself how to see and how to hear within language. Um, I try to I try to figure out what is it of the experience of being with someone. Um, so that I can better be with people through writing. Yeah. yeah, I actually, I specifically wanted to ask you, Jordan, about, because you are also like a, a really legit visual artist. I mean, I've got like a couple of collages in this book, but um, you probably know much more what you're doing than me. Like, how does your visual work contribute to your poetic practice? Um, that's a good question because I'm kind of like on a hiatus, extended hiatus from visual art. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so a bad I'm question like, to ask. Question. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was kind of doing design work most recently, and then my most serious kind of visual art practice was photography. Um, but I think it kind of has to do with with. Uh, with seeing, you know, or, or just, the, or sensory. Like, there's that quote, I forget who says it, but it was like, the task of the poet is to kind of, like the, like the task of, um, I don't know, like governments or things in, you know, like corrupt governments is like to desensitize the people, and then the task of a poet is to like wake the senses up. Like, that's kind of the, the artist's job. Um, and so I kind of try to think really hard about what is it that kind of can wake somebody up through each sense. And so when I write now, I'm kind of thinking about, okay, visuals. But then I also think about, I don't know, the failure a lot of different mediums. So in photography, I was like realizing, okay, there are things you can't really do in photography. Mm -hmm. You know, what, like you can't get sound in photography really. Um, yeah. And so in a poem, I'm like, maybe you can, you can get sound because it's like language and so you can hear and so you start hear, hearing or feeling really like the inabilities of each medium and then I try to see what, I don't know, I try to push the medium to its failure uh, and then see what, what makes that possible, so. I like that idea. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, oh, hey. Uh, I suppose the first immediate thing that seems to me is language is all about loss. Like, um, if I, I don't say, like, water, book, you know, I like, I talk to bring things that are not immediately present into presence, right? Um, some action is lacking that I want to speak into, whatever. Um, so like there's this really fundamental way in which the word is already a kind of trying to make present something that's absent. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that, that one piece that I read, not sorrow, everything against it, uh, was sort of in many ways my hope, at least with what I'm working on now. Um, it's 
sometimes talking about things that are no longer there is very sad, right? But it can also be very celebratory, I think, mm -hmm. like like mm -hmm. yeah. like you had mentioned when talking about the Jacques Brel. Um, yeah, there's something that can be very celebratory about it. Um, and also, I don't know, uh, just the act of bringing it to presence mm -hmm. itself, creating something mm -hmm. and letting it live past or live anew is, can be a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I hope that's joyous. Yeah, mm -hmm. not not sorrowful. Yeah. Uh, Jordan and Josh, how can we follow you? Like, where can we read your back? Follow, like social media follow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so yes, I don't. I don't. Um, I have like a Twitter account and a and an Instagram account. <laughs> I should make a website or something at some point. But um, so that's at like at J positive. And I think one of them has an underscore in it. And I don't remember which. I think it's the Twitter <laughs> account. <laughs> it's like J-A-Y underscore positive, like the word positive, which is what I try to be <laughs> while writing about failure. No, and then, uh, and then Instagram is just J positive without the underscore. Yeah, J-A-Y. Yeah, and then for me, um, likewise, there's social media stuff. But in terms of books, <laughs> here we go. Uh, this was my first book, Safe Space. I like the cover. It's cute. <laughs> this is Field, uh, my most recent one. Uh, I think it's the one you should buy. No, you should buy all of them. You should buy both. <laughs> they're both really good. I've read both, and they're both really good. <laughs> Yeah. Field, so, field mean, got shortlisted for the Pulitzer. It did. Just, just yeah. saying. <laughs> the Pulitzer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Pulitzer nominated author. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Seems funny. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Question and answers are strange. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can talk to us after, I'm sure. Any of us. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, books are available in the back and we're available to sign. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you guys so much for yeah, coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.